Christmas, everybody, and a special welcome. If this is your first time in the building, we are so delighted uh, to share this time with you. And uh, this afternoon, for a few minutes, what I want to do is explore the first Christmas as it really happened, because in our culture, it's really easy to forget how it really happened. Uh, consider, for example, the nativity scene. Do you have one of these at your house? Uh, this one is available for purchase at Johnny's Gift Shop in Bethlehem, about seven miles from the city of Jerusalem. Um, this picture was taken when my wife and I were there. Uh, we've been to Johnny's a few times preparing to start to bring people from Keystone back to Israel to show them the land. Uh, but every time my wife and I get near a nativity such as this one, some tension surfaces in our marriage. Let me explain. My wife is convinced that our house is incomplete without said nativity scene, and I don't want one. And it's not because I am not a fan of Jesus, which that's probably obvious, right? Yeah. And, but, but nonetheless, the tension surfaces, and we end up in a very similar conversation, um, and I guarantee you that the next time we're at Johnny's Gift Shop, I will be the proud owner of a nativity set, because I'm already losing this. But, but the reason I struggle with nativity sets is because nativity scenes tend to make Christmas feel a bit like a fairy tale. Uh, the scene is just too neat and clean, right? We have this idea like on a perfectly silent night to a perfect couple, a perfect baby is born. And just as a brief aside, I'm convinced that there's no way the first Christmas was a silent night. Do you know why I know this? Because I have been very close to labor and delivery four times, and it was many things, but it was not silent. I'm just saying, okay? So, yeah, the, the nativity scene really can make Christmas feel like a story, but it's not a story. It's, it's history, and that's why it's so important that we remember that. I mean, the Christmas, the characters in our Christmas story, they were real people with real lives. And they had real struggles and challenges. They experienced things that were as strange to them as they would have been to you or me. And so with the rest of our time, I want to focus our attention on the most famous couple in all of human history. Yes, of course, I mean Mary and Joseph. And as we enter the account of their lives, it's the evening of the first Christmas. And just imagine it with me. The scene, though, looks nothing like a nativity set. For one thing, there's only three people in it. There's Mary, and there's Joseph, and then there's baby Jesus. And they aren't in a, in a, in a, um, a nativity scene like you've probably seen before. They would have been in a cave. Here's a picture of a, a cave in Bethlehem. This is where uh, the house would have maybe been on top and there would have been a cave where they would have kept the livestock sort of beneath the house, but not a lot of wood going on in Israel, Palestine, and so they likely would have been in a cave. And just imagine with me, Mary, I mean, she's beyond exhausted, mentally, physically, emotionally. 
Uh, things have been increasingly complicated for her since that night, nine months earlier, when an angel appeared to her and invited her on an, on an incredible and unprecedented adventure. She learned that she was the chosen one. She was the one who would give birth to the savior of the world. It, it would be a baby, but it would be way more than a baby because God himself would be the baby's father. And this baby would change everything for everyone. And upon receiving this news, I mean, Mary erupts in song. And, and there's a Jesus follower named Luke who recorded what Mary sang. I will not sing. I'll spare you that. But here's what Mary sang. She sang, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one, that speaking of God, has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Nine months before the first Christmas, Mary felt loved and blessed and hopeful and joyful. But, but unfortunately, when you played the story forward, you start to see that these emotions eroded quickly. And by that first Christmas, Mary's excitement had collapsed into confusion. She sits there in the cave and she remembers the path from the night the angel told her what was going to happen. And, and she remembers the worst date night conversation in history where, where she had to tell Joseph that she was pregnant with God's baby. I, I'm sorry, that did not go well, right? In fact, we know it didn't go well because Matthew tells us in his account of Jesus' life that Joseph decides he's going to leave Mary because of it until an angel visits him in a dream and then he decides, okay, he's in. But then, the, then there was the conversation Mary had to have with her parents. If you have daughters, just imagine that for a second, right? Uh, there was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of anger. There wasn't a lot of wonder during that conversation. As I imagine it, there would have been screaming. There would have been table pounding. And then eventually Mary's dad exits stage left because he's going to go have a come to Jesus meeting with Joseph. That's, uh, that's a pastor joke. It's awesome every time I think. But anyway, yeah, right? And then, and then there were the months of judgmental stares. You see, Nazareth in the first century, 400 people. And so everybody knew everybody's business. And as the belly began to grow, so did the side conversations and the gossip, everybody knew everybody's business. Life was not easy for Mary during that stretch. And then, of course, there was a day that, that Mary learned that there was a census to be taken of the whole world right around the time she's full term. Nice timing, God, right? And so she and Joseph have to walk 70 miles to Joseph's ancestral home in Bethlehem. No nine-month pregnant woman has ever looked at their beloved and said, hey, we should go walk 70 miles. I hear it might induce labor. It's like eggplant parmesan, right? Yeah. And then arriving in Bethlehem, they go to one of Joseph's ancestors and knock on the door. And they find themselves in yet another awkward conversation because, see, it wasn't just Nazareth that was talking. Joseph's family had heard about the baby. And they had heard that the baby had been conceived outside of marriage. And so Joseph's family wanted nothing to do with them. As I imagine it, there would have been an awkward moment when someone would have pointed a finger at Joseph and said, you are not having that baby with that woman in this house. You have made a mockery of our family. You've destroyed your reputation. You will not destroy ours. And so Joseph and Mary find themselves walking up a hill to a cave where the savior of the world would be born. Friends, that's the setup to the nativity. 
Nobody buy my nativity scene. I'm just saying, right? <laughs> Nobody put it on the coffee table. It wasn't pretty. I mean, I imagine like a newborn baby Jesus screaming his head off in an animal feed trough and a 15-year-old Mary sort of covered in, um, you know, after a birth, and we'll spare you that, right? Crying out for her mom. And I imagine Joseph, maybe 19 years old, looking up at the heavens going, what in the world am I supposed to do? And feeling like God has abandoned them. And I imagine a lot of his questions started with one word, and that word is why. Like, God, why have you abandoned us? We trusted you. I mean, why? Nobody believes us. No one wants to help us. God, you can do anything. Why don't you do anything? I mean, no one even knows Jesus was born. Couldn't you at least tell someone? And as I imagined, at that very moment, Joseph scans the horizon and there sees some silhouettes approaching because somebody does know Jesus was born. But see, it wasn't the somebody that anybody would expect. Luke gives us the backstory. He tells us this. He says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, when most of us imagine shepherds, we imagine like grown men with beards, right? Like these, these are like full grown men. But in, even today in the Middle East, the shepherds are between like nine and 12 years old. It's the lowest job. Many of them are poor or orphaned. Some are even homeless. They, and they had no category for what was about to happen. For them, it was a night like any other night. They were just sort of hanging out with sheep. But see, it wasn't like any other night because angels were on the way with a message that would change everything. And without warning, they were surrounded by blinding light. Luke tells us an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified, which is what exactly what would happen to you or me if we were watching sheep in a field and angels suddenly appeared, right? He doesn't say, but I bet a few of them had to change their undergarments. I'm just saying, right? Uh, but, but the angel said to them, and I love this, this is like standard angelic uh, action here. Like the angel shows up, people freak out and then they would say, do not be afraid. And they're like, oh, Great, that helps. Yeah, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news, great joy, all the people. But notice with me something. It starts with the most unlikely of people. I mean, think about it. Who is the first you who gets the good news for all the people? Right, poor orphan shepherd boys. And in the first century, nobody cared about them. And yet somehow God wanted them to be the first to know. And, and friends, that is stunning. I mean, why would God choose the lowest, most marginalized, least influential group of people imaginable to be the first to hear that Jesus was born? To me, it speaks to God's heart. I think it's because God wanted to know, everyone to know that he sent Jesus for everyone. It's good news of great joy for all people. So he told the people first that you would least expect. He told the people who had nothing to offer him. They had nothing on their resume other than hanging out with sheep. They had no influence. They had no connections. They had no power. But as the angel continues to speak, the boys learn the good news. They say, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Town of David, that's, that's Bethlehem. That's David's town. David was a great king in Israel. A savior, a rescuer has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. In other words, God keeps his promises. He sent the rescuer that he promised and he cares about people and he cares about you. 
And that reality is even more incredible when you consider how he came. The shepherd boys would have been shocked. I mean, where did this rescuer, where did this savior, where were they born, right? Where in Bethlehem, where, where would we find him? And then the angel says, this will be a sign unto you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, cloths and lying in a, a manger. And I think they would have been like, a manger? That, I mean, that's where you place like newborn sheep sometimes. That's where you feed people. You're telling me that the savior of the world, God's one and only son, hasn't been born to royalty in a palace. He's born to unwed, unwed teenage parents in an animal food trough in a cave. Like that's absolutely the opposite of what anybody would expect. And that's the point. And as Luke's account continues, somebody cues the choir. And I love this. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. So there's this, this song breaks out across the expanse of the heavens. And then I love what comes next. The angels leave and the shepherds have a conversation. As I imagined, it goes like this. So what do you guys want to do tonight? No, I don't know. Okay, nobody said that. Here's what they say. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. As I imagine it, like the shepherds get there and Mary and Joseph have this wave of emotion that strikes them. It's like, it's like God told someone. It's like, it's all true. God hasn't forgotten about us. Something incredible has unfolded and is unfolding and so after seeing the baby, the shepherds exit the story and return to their sheep. And they return to lives that are hard and for some of them hunger and for some of them homelessness and for all of them an uncertain future. And just notice something with me, like the baby in the manger, it didn't alleviate their challenges or fix their problems. The baby didn't find them new parents. The baby wasn't going to make their employers not beat them anymore. The baby couldn't guarantee that they would have food. He's a baby. But the visit to Bethlehem did give them something they didn't have before. And that's hope. Hope that God is good. Hope that God keeps his promises. Hope that God has not forgotten about them, even though it often feels like he has hope that God really does value people nobody else values. Hope that God is telling a good story with their lives, even when they're in the middle of a chapter that's really hard and really dark, God is still at work and hope rises for them. Friends, when you think about it, hope really is front and center in the Christmas story. The thrill of hope as we sing, the weary world rejoices. It was hope that kept Mary and Joseph moving forward when life fell apart for them. 
It was hope that gave them courage to keep putting one foot in front of the other as they walked a path that they never had imagined they'd have to walk. Hope that God was good and that God was still at work even in their darkest moments. Hope that, that pushed out the very real fears that surfaced of what their future held. And it was hope that transformed the perspective of the shepherd boys. Hope that it, in spite of their real struggles and their real fears, God cared about them enough to let them be the first to welcome the Savior of the world. And if God let them do that, then God really does care about them. I mean, that perspective changed everything for them 2,000 years ago. And honestly, it has the power to change everything for you as we sit here celebrating the birth of Jesus 2,000 years later. I mean, wherever you find yourself this holiday season, I need to remind you that God has not given up on you. Even if you've given up on him, he's still working behind the scenes of your life. He still loves you. He still believes in you. He still cries with you. He still has a future for you. He is faithful, even when your situations make you feel like he's not. And so this Christmas, my prayer is that that same hope that rose in the shepherd's hearts will rise in your heart as well, because just like Jesus was born for them, Jesus was born for you. God always keeps his promises. And the birth of his son really was good news of great joy for all people. Friends, that is the message of Christmas. The band's going to come back now and uh, we're going to do some more singing. Uh, but before we do, we're going to listen to a song together. And it, it's a beautiful song. It's called Noel. And I love, I love the lyric that the song contains. It, it, it says, Noel, come and see what God has done. And so it sets itself right in the midst of that Christmas story. Come and see what God has done, the light of the world given for us, Noel. And after we listen to the song, you'll be invited to stand. We're going to sing a couple more songs together. And then Randy will come and we'll explain how we're going to sing Silent Night with some candles which you're holding. But let me just pray for us and then we'll listen. Heavenly Father, um, thank you. Thank you that you are the faithful one. Thank you that you always keep your promises. You always do what you say you're going to do. Thank you that you are for us and you are with us even in the darkest moments of our lives. If we can cling to that reality at an emotional level, then we can cling to hope. And so with the angels 2,000 years ago, we just want to say glory to God in the highest. Thank you for the gift of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.